Part five, chapter eleven of Riceman's Steps by Arnold Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anthony Ogus. Prison. Joe inquired Elsie, "Where's your papers?" She had brought his clothes, dry, folded, and possibly wearable, back into her bedroom. She had found nothing in the pockets of the suit except some cigarette-card portraits of famous footballers, a charred pipe, three French sous, and a broken jackknife. These articles, the raiment and a pair of battered shoes, which she had pushed under the bed and forgotten, seemed to be all that Joe had to show for more than twenty years of strenuous and dangerous life on earth, much less even than Elsie could show. The paucity of his possessions did not trouble her, and scarcely surprised her, for she knew that very many unmarried men, with no incentive to accumulate what they could immediately squander in personal use, had no more reserves than Joe. But the absence of the sacred papers disturbed her. Every man in her world could, when it came to the point, produce papers of some sort, from somewhere, army discharge pension documents testimonials birth certificate etc etc even the tramps who flitted in and out of roton house had their papers to which they rightly attached the greatest importance no man in elsie's world could get far along without papers unless specially protected by heaven and sooner or later generally sooner than later heaven grew tired of protecting all day Elsie had been awaiting an opportunity to speak to Joe about his papers. The opportunity had now come. Mr. Ulford could be left for an hour or so. Joe was apparently in less pain. The two bedrooms were tidied up. Both men had been fed. Joe had had more quinine. She could not sponge him again till the morrow. She herself had drunk two cups of tea and eaten the last contents of the larder. She had lighted a new candle, the last candle, in the candlestick. She had brought coal and mended the fire. The next morning she would have a great deal to do and to arrange, getting money, marketing, seeing the doctor and Mrs. Bellrose, discussing the funeral with Mr. Earl Forward, terrible anxieties, but for the present she was free, Joe made no answer. He seemed to be trying to frame sentences. She encouraged him with a repetition. Where's your papers? I can't find them nowhere. You haven't lost them, have you? Her brow contracted in apprehension. I sold them, said Joe, in his deep, vibrating and yet feeble voice. He looked away. Sold them, Joe? You never sold them. Yes, I have, I tell you. I sold them yesterday morning. But, Joey... I sold them yesterday morning to a man as came to meet a man as came out of Pentonville, same time as me. Pentonville, Joe? Do you mean you've been to prison? He nodded. What a shame! she exclaimed in protest. Not as his having done anything wicked enough to send him to prison but at the police having been wicked enough to send him to prison. 
she assumed instinctively and positively that he was innocent victim of the ruthless blue men whom some people know only as pilots of perambulators across busy streets. There was no option, you know, so I have fourteen days. She dropped on her knees at the bedside and put her left arm under his neck and threw her right arm over his waist and with it felt again the familiar shape of his waist through the bedclothes and gazed into his homely ugly face upon which soft dark hair a beard on the chin was sprouting this faith and tenderness made joe cry tell me she murmured scarcely hoping that he would succeed in any narrative oh it's nothing joe replied gloomily Armistice Day, you know. I had my afternoon and I went out. Were you in a place, Joe? I had a part-time place in Oxford Street, carrying coal upstairs and cleaning brasses and sweeping and errands and a bed. Yes, in the basement. Sort of a watchman. Doctor, he give me a testimonial. Least he sent it me when I wrote and asked him. No doubt whatever that she had been unjust to that doctor. I went down to Piccadilly to see the sights, and when it was about dark, I see her old divisional general in a damn big car with two young ladies. There was a block, you see, in Piccadilly Circus, and he was stopped by the curb where them flower girls are, you know, by the fountain, and I was standing there as close I am to you, Elsie, we used to call him the slaughterer. That was how we called him. We never called him nothing else. And there he was with his two rows of ribbons and his flash women. Perhaps they weren't flash. And I didn't like the look of his face. Hard, you know. Cruel. We knowed him, we did. And then I thought of the two minutes silence and hats off and stand at tension and the cenotaph and it made me laugh. I laughed at him through the glass. And he didn't like it, he didn't. I was as close to him as I am to you, you see. And he lets down the glass and says something about insulting behaviour to these ladies, and I put my tongue out to him. That tore it, that did. That fair put the lid on. I felt something coming over me, you know. Then there was a crowd, and I caught a policeman one on the shoulder. Oh, uh, they marched me off, three of em. The doctor at the station said I was drunk. Me as an hadn't had a drop for three days. Next morning the beak, he said he'd treat me lenient because it was armistice day. And I'd had some, and I'd fought for the old country. But in assaulting an officer of the law, he couldn't let that pass. No option for that. So he gave me fourteen days. But your master, Joe... It was an old woman. Wouldn't she? No, she wouldn't, said Joe roughly. And another thing, I didn't go back there either afterwards. Did you leave your things there? Yes, a bag and some things, and I shan't fetch it either. I shall, said Elsie resolutely. I won't let her have em. I shall tell her you was taken ill, and I shall bring em away. Joe offered no remark. "'But why did you sell your papers, Joe?' 
He gave me four and six for em. I was on me uppers. He gave me four and six, and then we went and had a meal after all that skilly and cocoa and dry bread. No good me going back. I'd left without notice, I had. But why didn't you come to me straight, Joey? Joe didn't answer. After all this inordinate loquacity of his, he had resumed his great silence. Elsie still gazed at him. The candlelight went down and up. A burst of heavy traffic shook the bed. And now Elsie had a desire to tell Joe all about her own story, all about Mr. Earl Forward and the death of Mrs. Earl Forward and the troubles awaiting her in the morning. She wanted to be confidential and she wanted to discuss with him a plan for putting him on his feet again after he was better, for she was sure she could restore his self-respect to him and him to his proper position in the world. But he did not seem interested in anything, not even in herself. He was absorbed in his aches and pains and fever, and she was very tired. So, without moving her arms, she just laid her head on his breast and was indignant against the whole of mankind on his behalf and regarded her harsh, pitiless self as the author of all his misfortunes and loved him. End of chapter 11